0: Under the hood <laughs> with Jonathan Hood. Let's get it. Tim crushes this ball. He throws the bat. The ball goes flying and it's
1: gone. Under the hood, behind the scenes, nobody really sees.
0: Four runs right in the air deep. Is it enough? It's gone! Ball
2: game over! Hey, I'm hot.
3: Jonathan Hood.
0: I'm, I'm hot. Brubisky, Robinson. Allen Robinson. And Mack will take it all the way in for a touchdown. A lot of this is behind the scenes or under the hood.
1: The
4: mark it. He didn't come for the massage. He came
1: for the fight show. Oh, baby. Woo! Jonathan Hood. Oh, Put a body on
0: that man, please. Breaks the hole. Swift got running room. Swift got to go. 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown Swift.
3: Under the hood with Jonathan Hood. I'm
0: the man. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN
3: app. Woo! Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Woo! Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Great that you're in with us today. Open phone lines 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com, tweet j Hood. Are on Instagram, IGJHood. We'll have Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday for you coming up to the bottom of the hour here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. And uh, don't forget to be with us tomorrow. Uh, more on the Cubs and the Phillies tomorrow with Jesse Rogers. We'll have our Summer of Football. We've got a lot for you on Wednesday show uh, right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I talked to Adam Rittenberg earlier on College Football, so I'm going to pull, pull my... Phil Steele, college football guy. I'll push it to to the side. It's a lot of information. I don't want to be tempted talking college football here in our Cubs and baseball segments. I'm going to push that to the side, put it over here to my right. Okay, now we can focus on the Cubs. I'm keeping my eyes on the Cubs in their matchup against the Phillies. Four two Phillies leading the Cubs in the bottom of the eighth inning, and in a pitching change by Joe Madden. And so, it, this game started at six. Now it's nine oh four. So it's just going to be a three plus hour ball game. So I can't wait for them. So I'm going to talk about the Cubs here and talk some baseball with you. Um, so I want to talk a little bit up to you about where we are with Cubs baseball here and on August thirteenth, twenty nineteen. One of the things that I always look at when it comes to our teams, our teams meaning the teams that are in Chicago, is it's one thing to look at the team and try to break it down left and right, up and down, trying to figure out the holes, the problems of the team. But I always like to look at other teams in baseball and be able to look at those teams and say, what is the Cubs or what are the White Sox, what are they missing that other teams do have? All I know is that when I'm watching Major League Baseball, when I get a chance to watch baseball, especially in the National League, and I see teams like the Los Angeles Dodgers, who I think are destined to go to the World Series this upcoming season, you can just tell when a team has magic. And the Dodgers, when I watch them on the late night creep, because they're on the West Coast, I'm watching them. You can just tell they have it. It's more than looking at the record of 79-41 and 41 and saying, "Um, oh, this Dodgers team, yeah, they're going to be good. It's more than the 192-plus uh, on the differential for, for as far as their runs are concerned or their 48-16 and 16 record at home at Dodgers Stadium. It's more than that. It's like when you watch a team, you know when they have it. Baseball is really funny that way. In baseball, you can have seven, eight, nine guys in a lineup struggling all at the same time. Or you can have a team that's just magical no matter the situation. Back against the wall, down in the bottom of the ninth, and you have a runner on, and you have the most unlikely hitter to be able to help you come through. And guess what? Guess what? That particular player can come through for any any given time. Dodgers have it. When I watch a young Braves team that went from really horrible to in top of the first place in the National League East, you know when they have it at seventy and fifty coming into tonight's games. You know that when you know it when you see it when when the Mets have been able to kind of rally after all the issues they've gone through in the National League East, and for them to be a viable wild card team or the Nationals or even the Cardinals who I counted out early this season and now back in the mix, it's one thing to look at the Cubs. It's another thing to look at other teams and say, uh, what is it that the Cubs don't have that those teams do? Well, here's one thing that you and I both know that the Cubs have that those other teams don't have. And, and that what the Cubs have is uh, their, their issues, their storylines. Their storylines are not going away until the end of the season because... Once we get to October, and if the Cubs fall short of their goal of getting to the World Series and their season is over, you know what the storyline is going to be. The storyline at that time, but the storyline is right now on August 13th is, is Joe Madden returning? Is Joe Madden coming back to the uh, Chicago Cubs in 2020? We saw the piece over the weekend uh, from ESPN.com written by Jesse Rogers. And the piece was talking about how Joe Madden, while he was in Cincinnati, he said that, yeah, you know, there's no question that I'll be coming back. Yeah, why Why wouldn't I come back in 2020? It's like one of the first times that Madden has talked about this on the record. And we played the soundbite last night, and it's just typical Stride in Madden, where he believes that he, he may believe deep down he's the reason. I know he's not cocky, he's just convinced He's convinced that for sure that this that he's one of the reasons why this happens. And, and by the way, I will give him credit. I will give him a lot of credit because when some look at managers in baseball, many look at managers and say, well, managers are really, you know, they don't have a major impact for 162 games or playoffs or the set of tone. And I disagree. I think that a manager really does make a difference when it comes to setting the tone of a team. I've been around a number of Cub teams in the past before Madden got here. A manager comes in, I've seen managers come in with their briefcase, close their manager door, and you don't see them until first pitch, okay, until they got to give the lineups to the umpires. So communication matters. I think Madden's done a really good job with that. As we talk about the Cubs with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Let's go to Jesse Rogers. I talked to Jesse about this the other day because I want to make a parallel with you of not only looking at other teams uh, versus what the Cubs and what they don't have, but about a manager or a coach in this case. In town here with three Stanley Cup championships and no longer here. Now he's the coach for the Florida Panthers in Joel Quinville. Joel Quinville should still be coaching the Blackhawks in my view. And I know for some of you Hawks fans, like, you know, it's time to turn the page. That was the past. It shouldn't be the past. If you win with a coach, if you win with the staff, why can't it continue? There's been a lot of situations in sports in which maybe the general manager, or the president of the team doesn't like the coach, doesn't like some of the personnel. But if you win with them, what else are you going to do? I, I, would, I would can tell you now that Kevin Durant and Draymond Green didn't get along, but they got along well enough to be able to win championships, win a lot of games in Golden State. Maybe Steve Kerr doesn't like Draymond Green, but he got re-signed. There's a reason. It's because maybe some co-workers you don't like Maybe you don't like them. Maybe they don't like you. But as long as you are trying to achieve a common goal of winning a championship, what's so wrong with that? Right? So I asked Jesse about the parallel of Joel Quinville when he's with the Blackhawks and all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, let go because the Hawks kind of underachieved. And the Madden situation where Madden wins a, a, a World Series championship team is successful, but yet he still has to dance for his dinner uh, as far as trying to keep his job. Let's go back in that conversation I had with Jesse regarding Quinville and Madden.
0: There was failure, more definitive failure in his final couple years under Quinville. We haven't seen definitive failure. To me, not making the postseason is definitive failure, and that's why I wrote at the All-Star break, it should come down to that. If he makes the postseason, he continues on. If he doesn't... They move on. Maybe the message is stale, whatever the case may be. I think that is a perfect criteria for Joe Madden. not winning the World Series, just making the postseason. So until um, I hear something different, I think that should be the criteria, but maybe it won't be. Maybe it won't
3: be. Also, I asked Jesse his thoughts about uh, the road trip here, because with the Cubs down 4-2 to here in the top of the ninth, it's not going to be easy against the Phillies and the Pirates
0: winning that first game could really make that you know feel feel good about yourself a little bit. Pittsburgh's interesting. We know they they're terrible right now. They've lost 8 in a row, but that weekend series with the Williamsport thing, I think that all bets are off with the records. And let alone the fact that the Cubs are still what, 23 and 35 on the road, so you, you got to kind of look at things a little differently knowing that record. It, it, it's not going to be pretty on the road. It hasn't been yet. Why would it change? I don't know. So 3-3 three and three with ugly wins, pretty wins, whatever the case may be, I think would be a healthy way to finish this week off. And then, you know, keep on extending yourself at home. I, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. It would be great to go 4-2 or better, but I just couldn't make that prediction right now.
3: So some thoughts there from... Um Jesse Rogers, as we talk about the Cubs with Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN app. So you know, it, when I when I looked at the trade deadline and saw that the Cubs were able to get Castellanos, that's a that's a positive because you want to have someone that can be able to provide some spark for this team. So clearly, he has been a spark plug himself. But one thing for sure, whether Ben Zobris comes back with a clear head or not, um, no matter. Who else the Cubs bring in? The core should be able of be able to carry the the weight for this team. It's just not happening right now with this Cubs team. It's just not happening. But but the, the question always remains: If you have won something with a World Series manager in Joe Madden, no matter if you give him forty percent of the credit, sixty percent of the credit, eighty percent of the credit, no matter how much credit you give to Madden, don't you think he deserved to have a contract extension, don't you think that he deserved to be with this ball club for the longer, for the long haul? Because if you've won and you've raised the expectations at Clark and Addison, why can't Madden stay? Now, as I mentioned, Madden believes that he's going to be back. And again, go, go to the column yourself, um, ESPN.com, where Jesse was able to write that, where Madden felt like, yeah, you know, I can see myself staying in 2020. Thing is, said that, th- this should not be something that we are talking about. We should be talking about the underachievement of the Cubs, but we also Madden should be in place as a head coach. I just don't believe in just changing for change's sake, and a lot of this is, comes from ego. I totally get it. I totally get it. It comes from ego. Who's, who's the fault? Who's going to be the fall guy for this? The team should be the fall guy for this, including Theo Epstein, who was unable to put together what I consider a quality playoff team. Uh, it's it's going to be a playoff team, but not a quality playoff team. That is for sure. Um, so let us also hear from—is um, that Buster Olney Davis talking about the wild card? Plus, the Baseball Tonight crew, Buster was part of it. Yeah, Buster, Buster Olney, and the wild in the Baseball Tonight podcast—they were talking about the wild card. It's interesting to see what's happening here where the Cubs because will they maintain first place at the big storyline and just looking at the wild card let's go back and listen to what they have to say about what we can expect from the wild card
1: I think the Nationals are getting it. And the reason is their starting rotation is so good. And you have Rendon and Soto with an incredible one-two punch. They can score some runs. Now their bullpen has really struggled. That being said, I think their starters and their offense is going to carry them to win enough games. I think the Nationals get in.
4: I think they do, too. But I'm not sold on the Nationals either, especially with that bullpen. But I'm sold more on them than these other teams. The Brewers have to do something way better with their bullpen and their rotation yeah. the rest of the way. The Diamondbacks, I can't see without Zach Greinke how they're going to make a run and pass all of those teams. Mm-hmm. And the Phillies haven't been the same team since Andrew McCutcheon went down. Bullpen issues without David Robertson. And their rotation has been erratic most of the year
1: also. Power-pitching plays, right? Yeah. The Phillies staff enough guys You're right. And, and you look at a team like the Cardinals. The Cardinals, they've had some really nice stretches. I mean, they even took over the NL Central a few weeks right. ago, but they're super inconsistent. I mean, now Goldie's playing better, yep. and, and you we got Ozuna healthy now, but they've been up and down all season. I can't trust the Cardinals right now. Braves
4: made a lot of moves to improve their bullpen. So at least you think, you know, the answers are here. Whether they deliver, we'll see. Diaz for the Mets. The is there. Whether he delivers, we'll see. Some teams, it feels like they don't really have answers.
1: Yeah, the reason I can't count on the Mets is I don't know if they're going to be able to close out enough games. Against really good teams, against the Braves, and against the Phillies and the Nationals in their own division, who they're going to be playing a lot the next two months, they've blown way too many saves for me to be comfortable about the Mets.
4: And the Mets have a really difficult schedule yeah. the rest of the way. The hardest schedule of all these wildcard teams, so that might work against them
3: could the Cubs be amongst those wildcard teams? That's a big question mark. As we talk about the Cubs with Jonathan hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So I want you to listen to this very closely. Okay. I just talked about Castellanos and how he definitely has been an A plus for this Cubs team for himself. Is he is someone that can elevate the entire team. At least he's doing his job um, for the Cubs. But I want you to hear um, Anthony Rizzo ESPN one1000s Anthony Rizzo. He was with Jesse Rogers and Jesse talked to Rizzo about something that Joe Madden said. John Joe Madden was complimenting Castellanos because he believes that Castellanos is played with some hunger. Listen to this.
0: From the culture vibe standpoint, you've probably heard him described as from Joe and even Theo. That's what hunger looks like on the field. The guy that came from a losing organization. Do you, does is he bringing that energy? Do you see that? Would that describe him well? That's what hunger looks like. That they
1: both said I mean, that. When I, when I hear that, it's, I throw that out the window because we're all hungry in here. So. Right. His appreciation of being coming from a last place team to a first place team is how I look at it. He's very appreciative of this. And, uh, but as far as hunger, we're all hungry in here. So. Right, right, When I read that, it's not necessarily like I love seeing that he's hungry because we all are. Because it kind of implies others might not be. Is that kind yeah, of yeah, Yeah, that's but, the way I look at it. Yeah. But we're but all hungry in here. And, right. Him coming over in this opportunity as, <laughs> as, as, is awesome. That's right. what you want as a player. You want to be in these situations. And, uh seeing him walking around and having this opportunity is, is, I guess, a little refreshing.
3: Hmm. Telling from Rizzo. Dismisses uh, the kind of the compliment that Madden gave to Cascianos about his hunger. And... I would agree with Rizzo for once. I would say that Rizzo is correct when it comes to, you know, this team. It's hungry, but the the production and the results are not there. Um, yeah, they want to win. Sure. He has a number of veterans that have won a World Series on this team. The core of this team is one. So um, it, it's interesting how Madden looks at the shiny new object in Castellanos and says, yeah, this guy comes in with some hunger. Look where he came from. And look at him now. He's really being able to flourish with the ball club. And I don't see it as jealousy necessarily from Rizzo, except he's just pretty much saying, like, well, what about us? We're also hungry to win. We're just not achieving the results that you want. So now let's hear from Jeff Passon. He was on Waddle and Sylvie earlier. So how about Passon, his thoughts on Rizzo's response to Jesse?
4: Anthony, Rizzo's response there was understandable, and I think it underscores the divide in the organization between the players and the front office and manager. I think there is a sense uh, inside of the Cubs organization that there has has been some softness and complacency that has, has pervaded the clubhouse and that they want leaders and guys who are fiery and that some of what they had back in 2016 has been missing since then. Uh, for Anthony Rizzo to say that that's not the case, I think is perfectly understandable and defensible because he comes out every night and, you know, hits 300 and gets on base 40% of the time and slugs 500 and is, is a model citizen and, and a model player. And, and so when somebody is implying that you do not have hunger, of course you're going to get defensive about it. But you know what? Maybe that's what the Cubs need. Right? Like maybe the, maybe the players do need to be put in a position where they feel a little uncomfortable or they have something to rally against, and you know Joe Madden's a really bright guy, and and I don't think he says things without understanding what the consequences might be. So the idea that he said this, uh, it was it was not off the cuff. This was something that I think. He understood was going to be a compliment to Nicholas Castellanos, but understood also might light a fire under the rest of these guys who, as Jesse put so well, uh, were were implicitly said not to have the hunger.
3: Interesting, huh? From Jeff Passon, our ESPN baseball analyst, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Uh, So how about this? This is the Coupe de Gracie. This is the cherry on top. Passon talking about the Cubs. As far as another manager, who are they looking for if they're looking for another manager?
4: Having covered baseball for more than fifteen years now, you see situations similar to this, where where the talent or enough talent is there, and they just they they almost feel stagnant, right? right. right. Um, the the Yankees. Actually, have been a lot like this, where they were a good team under Joe Girardi, but they, ju- you know, the Brian Cashman just felt like that next step was not going to be taken, and in that they they had leveled off at a certain point, and that's when he went out and got Aaron Boone. Uh, part of me wonders if the Cubs are trying to find their Aaron Boone, and uh, I don't know who that Aaron Boone may be. Uh, it may be. Uh, one of my colleagues at ESPN, it may be somebody uh, who, who Theo Epstein and, and Jed Hoyer have gotten to know throughout the years. Uh, there, there are plenty of candidates out there. Hmm. But to, to think that, that Joe Madden is, as a lame duck, going to be brought back anything short of a spectacular run, I think is probably wrong.
3: <laughs> the message stale. Now not in that clubhouse every day. I don't cover the team every day, but is the, the message stale? He only meets with the team three times a year. I don't get it. Jonathan Hood on ESPN one thousand and the ESPN app, Mike in Chatham with Jonathan Hood on ESPN one thousand. Hello, Mike.
2: Hey Jonathan, good, good evening. Thanks for taking my call.
3: Yes, sir. You heard all that now. What what comes to mind when it comes to Madden for you? Well, I
2: have to be perfectly honest. When it comes to Madden, my thought process is is that I think, number one, Theo has saddled him with a with a, a substandard lineup in some spots. Okay. The other thing, though, is that Joe, in my opinion, is not necessarily... So I do have challenges with some of the moves that he makes in the shifting around of players. Now luckily they have that facility they have the capability to do that but I think he does it so often that I think sometimes guys can't get completely settled in their roles so I think both parties have a little skin in the game but ultimately I am going to side with you and that is he's winning he's making the playoffs he's pushing the he's pushing the buttons to get them to the playoffs mm-hmm. I think they both I think Joe has done he's tailored He's tailored some of that approach. I think he has listened to management. I think he's done a good job of listening to some of the feedback that he's gotten, and now he's trying to to, to reshape some of his style a little bit and, and be a little bit more consistent with lineups and, and hold guys a little bit more accountable. And then, I, I, I honestly, I just think that both parties need to get it together and work work on the same plane and just let bygones be guy bygones and let the squad win.
3: I just and Mike I appreciate your phone call. I just look at the the core of Bryant and Rizzo and Baez and Almora and and looking at this team and it goes on and on because there's more than that even that on this team, you know, John Lester it, it just they're just underachieving and to me to place blame on Madden for all of it is not right. See, this is different. I've been saying this a lot here this season, but I'm, I'm just going to, again, hammer home the point that this is not if your perception of Dusty Baker, your perception of Jim Riggleman, your perception of managers that fell short because the ownership fell short of being able to dole out money or the team was inferior to other teams in the National League. This is different. It's a different dynamic because of what Mike just said. The team's winning, so why can't they figure this out? Are you going to tell me that David Ross right now is a better manager than Joe Madden? When Joe Madden just speaks through the press and Maddon hardly, he, he talks to his players, but not to the point where I think it uh, is overwhelming. Unless Rizzo told us something there in that soundbite with Jesse that we don't know. Maybe that, maybe that is just the idea that Castellanos comes to the team, provides a spark. He was two for four today in the loss for the Cubs. And, and Rizzo's like, well, you know, we're busting the two. Just because this guy comes over from a losing team doesn't mean that we're not busting it. If that's what's going on in that locker room, then that's petty. Because who, who, I mean, Madden sets a tone. And Madden is very cerebral. Not to the point, though, where it's overwhelming to the ball club because the team is still winning. It may not be Atlanta, it may not be Los Angeles, but it's a good team, but just not a team that's going to have a deep run in the playoffs unless the light comes on at some point between now and the end of September. Cubs lose 4-2 against the Phillies, and here's the thing that is really bad about this loss. Quintana was excellent, the starter for the Cubs. Six innings pitched, five hits, two runs, one walk, and 14 strikeouts. He gave the Cubs 110 pitches, 72 for strikes, 14 strikeouts over six, and the Cubs cannot hold their water. They did not have enough offense to help out Quintana. That is a shame. And Casiano, who we just talked about, had a home run off of Vargas in the, uh, fifth, in the sixth inning uh, in this game. And the Cubs lose. And it's what Jesse's been talking about, the road trip. The road trip has been uh, underwhelming. Uh, Just the the idea of the Cubs on the road has been underwhelming. They have not played to our expectations on the road. This hour of Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood is brought to you by Enzo Custom. Check out their open house this Thursday from 4.30 to 6.30. Tell them Tom Waddle sent you and get $50 off. It's Enzo Custom. Okay, coming up. Cubs lose. We will hear from our guy Casey Joyner from ESPN.com as we get ready for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday right here on UTH. Jonathan Hood. Protect the joints, the nine
0: nickels. Man, I stay on point like I sickles. On ESPN 1000.
3: Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening
0: for the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship. Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, our first event of the evening is a one-call match with a 15-minute time limit. There ain't nobody, there ain't nobody in wrestling who can make me quit. And that's the bottom line, Costoto Cetzo. Tuesday. We are what wrestling's all about. New York City here, Chicago here they know about right but i'm not telling any of the girls who i'm gonna give it to in chicago until that night Woo! tuesday wrestling tuesday returns to under the hood with jonathan hood on espn 1000 and the espn app
3: It's Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday, with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Follow us on Twitter at WrestlingTWT. Also on Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Every single Tuesday at 9.30, we give you the best in pro wrestling slash sports entertainment conversation right here on ESPN 1000. Nobody else is going to give you that wrestling conversation on the radio except this show, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Our special guest is Casey Joyner. He writes columns for the... WWE and everything else around professional wrestling on ESPN.com. And Casey joins me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN. We talk about SummerSlam taking place in Toronto as well as NXT TakeOver. And uh, as always, Casey, I appreciate your time. Before we talk about NXT and the WWE, I want to get your thoughts about the passing of Harley Race, eight time NWA champion. What are your memories of Harley Race? The
5: fondest memories of harley i we uh, my buddy and i actually uh I, I grew up in Flint Michigan, and there's uh, an arena there called the i m a and uh the wrestlers one time had a uh you know a show and and they came out afterwards and their cars you could reach their cars in the parking mean, lot this is how old school it was probably mid eighties We were just talking and uh and uh, I mean, my buddy and I went over and actually introduced ourselves to Harley And things you could see he's like, what are you guys doing bugging me near my car and such but that's the personal I have with him. But the thing that stands out about Harley when you read all the wrestling bi- autobiographies and you read the histories, the wrestlers, he was the toughest guy in the business and not just, okay, in ring tough and all that, as in wrestlers legitimately were scared of him. Flair said he was the toughest guy he ever faced. Piper said he was scared of him. Heenan said if you ever have trouble uh, inside of, your, if you ever have trouble at your hotel and things, whatever it was. Get Harley, he'll take care of it. And even Hogan one time when uh the old story of uh when the uh WBF was invading the Kansas City territory that Harley was part owner of, and the story goes as I understand it that Harley went over to the uh the Kansas City and I guess there's a lot of versions of it, but Hogan in his autobiography, one of his autobiographies, he said, I want to say this delicately. He was um, he was in the bathroom stall using the restroom, and somebody came in and said Harley's on his way. He said he jumped right up, didn't even finish what he was doing, and just ran out to meet him because was so scared that Harley was going to come to the arena. So wrestlers were when he came all across as I'm a legitimate tough guy and I, and I I'm the toughest, and baddest guy in the ring. When he said that, people believed it because it was true, the and the wrestlers certainly knew it was true because he was he was he was respected and feared.
3: So many, K C have talked about Harley Race in these terms, just saying that. I mean, you're talking about a, a champion that was giving. You know, we know this about Ric Flair where he would give a lot of offense to his opposition because he wanted to make the territory better, make that wrestler better. But apparently Harley was like that as well. I mean, here's the guy that lost the championship to Tommy Rich and gave it to him for eight days and gave it back because it was best for the Georgia territory at the time. So what resonates with me with Harley is is that not only a, a terrific performer, but also gave a lot to promotions because like the typical NWA champion, he traveled and made other territories better.
5: I have to wonder if part of that was, because when he wins his first title, there's that famous story that uh, a Dory Funk Jr. is the NBA champion, and he doesn't want to lose the belt to Jack Briscoe because they're both shooters, and he didn't want to think, think like Briscoe was going to be a better shooter and things, whatever it was, he didn't want to lose the belt. And so they had to hardly be the interim champion there for a few months. And Harley gets over so well as an interim champion for a few months that they say, okay, we need to get him into the into the title picture down the road. So a couple of champions later, he you know he uh, beats. I'm in fact, I remember uh, as a kid watching uh, watching when he beat, watching the the highlights of him beating Terry Funk for the belt in Toronto. It was something. We were amazed that hey, we're seeing a title change. But he had done, he had worked well as an interim champion for a few months and then come back and kept his heat. And so you said, oh, I think that back then they said, okay, usually if the champion lost the title, it was, oh, the champion can't lose the title and keep his heat. And they'd seen Harley could do it. Harley only held the belt for a few months and he was still a hot rusher and we could still pitch him as being, <laughs> excuse me, championship level material. So let's go ahead and uh, and have him do that again. We know if we haven't lose it to, ter- uh, to Tommy Rich, if we haven't lose that, that it's not going to be something he can't overcome. So I think it was a matter of he changed what the belt could be because he could keep his heat even when he lost.
3: He gave the championship uh, to a, a hot baby face called Ric Flair. He was ready to he was ready to give the title up at that point in time after seven eight uh, reigns. KC, I think that he was ready. He saw Ric Flair as a guy that can be able to carry that torch and willing to travel across the the world and and so the um, it, the legacy didn't end there because he still had a run with um, with Vince McMahon the WWF, which is so strange because as as folklore goes, unless Thatcher told the story. He said that when Vince wanted to take take over the world and go national with his brand, that he went to Harley Race and wanted Race to be able to drop the uh, NWA championship to the WWF champion at the time in Hulk Hogan. And Race refused, and apparently Vince made a move. I mean, like, wanted to fight Race because of his refusal, and Race took him down so i mean it's just the stories are endless when it comes to harley you're the guy that was the nwa champion and uh want, want to prove everybody that like he's the guy i just the stories for harley are just amazing to me
5: it's amazing that when rick flair goes to japan and he um they were afraid of a double cross he goes to japan one time in the early 80s i believe it was and they're afraid. Okay, well, the the the, the Japanese going to try and actually send someone in the ring to be a shooter to to beat Flair. Even though know, Flair had been a a collegiate, he'd been he was a collegiate champion, not at Minnesota. He was like a prep level champion. He was still a solid wrestler, but <clears throat> I don't think anybody would say that Rick Flair was um was well, a true shooter, so they were afraid of double cross. And they said, so, "Well, who can we send with with Flair to make sure that he doesn't lose the title?" They sent Harley. <laughs> they said he's our guy. That and you wouldn't think if you looked at the the roster back then. If you were, if you were a fan, you didn't know. You'd look and be like, "I wouldn't know that Harley would be the toughest guy." But we're, okay, we're not going to have if a shooter goes in that ring and tries to do something with Flair, Harley's going to build good there and stand up for Flair. So it was incredible he could do that, and that, that that Vince would eventually try and 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 take on Harley. I mean, Harley was considered. He would be. He wouldn't be considered what in wrestling parlance they call a hooker. A hooker would be a wrestler who knows how to use what they call hooking moves, Mm -hmm. true submission moves. guy like uh, Lethal was a hooker. People like Kurt Angle would be a hooker. Somebody who knows how to use the kind of moves that can make somebody truly tap out. But he'd be what they call a shooter, which is a person who could stand up in a what they call a shoot match, which is a a match where they're actually trying to, you know, if you're, you're trying to actually beat the other guy in a real fight and. It's Harley would be considered among the toughest of the shooters in his day, in fact, probably in wrestling history. So that Vince would uh, would try to fight him it says something for Vince that he'll take on whoever he has to take on. It says something for Harley that he could uh, he could fight him off.
3: KC <laughs> Joiner from ESPN.com. You can find the WWE section on ESPN.com. It's uh, one of the latest is about the WWE SummerSlam results and some of the commentary there. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Uh, and KC, I usually would start with weekends like this with NXT takeover but I will start from the top. I will start with SummerSlam. I want to find out your thoughts and your overall grade of SummerSlam in Toronto.
5: It's one of those where it's if you go back in the days and watch the old Nitro's or the old Raw's, let's take the old wf Raw's and you know, you remember Stone Cold and the Rock and how great those shows were. And yeah, they're fantastic shows. But if you go back and watch them, The main event is fantastic, and the rest of the card really wasn't that good. And we remember the main event because that's the one thing they wanted you to remember. So you can remember all these different great endings of the show that they had with with these with these wrestlers and Kurt Angle, you know, with his with the beer and the milk and all. They remember all these things years later because how great they were. But a lot of times, the show building up to it wasn't anywhere near as good. That's what this was. The show really leading up to it was. It had some high spots and such, but it really wasn't a great show. And yet, you get to that main event, and you get to, to Lesnar uh, grabbing Seth by the by the by the tape and, and swinging him around and throwing him in the air, and, and Lesnar looking like an absolute dominant beast, and st- and still putting Rollins over. It's the kind of thing that we, you know. In a few weeks, we'll be talking about that, and probably pretty much forget everything else is on the show. But <clears throat> that that's a formula that worked back in the Raw days, and it can work today as well, as long as your main event is that strong. Doesn't matter how good your undercard is.
3: You know, Brock Lesnar KC showed me more in a loss than any of his squash wins. I, I mean, because you saw that match the way it was laid out. Takes the he takes his uh, gloves off and looks like that he's going to take it into another gear and he gave so much to Seth Rollins. There's some respect there from Lesnar and Rollins, where Rollins didn't have like this last second victory. There was a lot of give and take there, and I thought that for the times that we've seen L- Lesnar lose, and it's not very often in the WWE. I thought that he showed a lot in, in that matchup where it's almost like a renewed respect for this guy that he he dropped title once again to Seth Rollins.
5: He's one of those rare people that in the business that you'll find that <clears throat> excuse me that uh he can lose a match and he can lose his title and still not lose his heat like we talk of uh, the the four horsemen are still people talk about them to this very day Tully Blanchard signing with AEW Flair shows up at Raw Reunion Flair shows up yesterday I mean the four horsemen are are still remembered well to this very day because of how strong they were and that was one of their strengths in their day was that They could go out on, I remember uh, going to uh, an event one time where when uh, Ronnie Garvin beats Flair for the title in Detroit. <clears throat> I remember being at that show, and even though the Four Horsemen were in an eight-man tag match, and they all lose in their eight-man tag match and get their tails kicked by Dusty and his, his, his minions, and Flair loses the title. Even if you'd start watching the show that next week, and Flair lost the title. But we all thought, yeah, Garvin's rent the title, and all the Horsemen still had their belts, so they still kept their heat. Even though they just got their tails kicked, it's the same thing of Lesnar. The way they do it, you can't do it to quite the same extent they do with the Horseman. He can't lose quite as much, but when he loses, as long as he's losing in the right way, and he still had some great power moves in that match, he still showed, hey, I'm still the beast, and I can still do all these fantastic moves. He can still. His character is handled in such a way that he can't take a loss like this. Clean loss. Hey, you you lost. You got curb-stopped, what, three times I think it was? You get curb-stopped three times, and you lose square in the middle of the ring. And yet, if he's on the next pay-per-view, if he's on the next big show, you're going to want to go see it because that's he's the kind of guy who he can lose and keep his heat. So the WB recognizes that, and that's why they're putting him in this position. But it's a unique position for them to have because most of the wrestlers can't get that kind of heat. or yeah, can't get that kind of uh, a crowd reaction in any event. And he can do it if he wins or loses.
3: KC, there is a such thing, for, from my standpoint, is a best match and a best story told. And so as we talk about Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins once again becoming the Universal Champion, it's great But I I think the best story that was told was Becky Lynch and Natalya. I kind of thought that this was going to be the best match in the card, and I was wrong. I think the main event for SummerSlam was, but I... I just think that Natalya, who unfortunately has kind of fallen into this good hand, as Jim Ross would say, she's a good hand, uh, almost a, a Dolph Ziggler-like role, where Natalya should have been able to be multiple-time champion and carrying that thing as a heel as long as she wanted to, but she hasn't really been that. I thought that the build and the match was very solid.
5: I, I agree. I agree that they that they have... <clears throat> so think you can talk about this entire entire show and entire the, all the entire uh, uh, rosters, you can say, look how great of storytellers that they have, and yet they don't let the wrestlers tell the story. I'm, one thing that kills me about today's WWE is they've got wrestlers who they can do long-term builds with. You can get them to tell short-term stories, but they do so many short-term stories, I want to see them start to do more of these long-term builds, because honestly, the reaction that... I was at Raw Reunion, the <clears throat> Raw Reunion show down in Tampa a few weeks ago. hmm All the great superstars. All the. I mean, I got to actually interview Stone Cold. I got to interview Hogan. I got to interview The Miz. I mean, it was you know, really cool to see all those guys. And it was everybody backstage. It was need to take all that in. And went out in the arena to see it. And there's a buzz for everybody that was there. And yet, when the the new the new wrestlers, you know, when you got the old school wrestlers, the crowd was reacting. And the new school wrestlers come out, they weren't reacting nearly as well. The talent level is here. It's not like the guys today can't do a lot of the things that people could do back in, you know, Rawls in 2000, where Stone Cold the Rock were selling. They can still do these things. It's just you've got to give them the kind of stories to, to tell, and you've got to do some long term stories. You have got to make wins and losses matter. So you got to do a lot of things that there are pro wrestling that Vince doesn't like to do. But I think long term storytelling is the one thing. Have a have a few couple wrestlers who you're going to, you know, maybe they'll have a. (laughs) <laughs> a feud over a long period of time don't have a feud don't have a feud immediately come to a head like 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 Kofi and that why did they have kofi uh, if, uh after the match? Why did he get it you know he they, they have the count out and then he comes back in and and then and and then gets and, and then you know takes away the heat from uh, from what just happened with the count out. Let that story tell out. Let that story play out over a period of weeks and months because a e w is going to be doing that they're going to tell longer term stories, and you need to be able to combat that.
3: You didn't yeah, at the end of the the world title match with Kofi Kingston and, and Randy Orton, you didn't make Kingston more of a badass, you made Randy Orton a babyface. <laughs> exactly. See, see what, I mean that's that's just wrestling logic. Like, okay, so Here's a guy that's smiling and throwing pancakes, and all of a sudden he just becomes a badass and he uses his cane shots on Randy Orton. Well, that that did nothing for Kofi, but it did a lot for Randy Orton in that one. So that was just it. And by the way, and I've asked this to numerous guests, and so I'll ask you: Is is Kofi Kingston over, Casey?
5: Um, The crowd wants him to be over. That's a, a, a big, big part of it. He gets a crowd reaction. The crowd wants him to be over, but they need to tell the types of stories to get him over. That, that's the way it is with a lot of the talents. They want these people to be over. They want them, like uh... <clears throat> when it comes, we talk about Lesnar. One of the reasons that Lesnar is over is because they tell the types of stories to get him over. He is a dominant heel or dominant babyface and he goes out there he's, he, he just destroys people like Goldberg did back in his day and uh, Goldberg even did against them I mean that's what you, that's what you want out of him the crowd wants certain things out of Kofi Kingston and if you give them what they want with Kingston he gets over but if you keep switching them back and telling inconsistent stories they're not sure what type well, what they should think of this Kofi Kingston character and if that's the case if you're unclear of what you want to uh, to get out of a character the audience is not going to be clear either
3: any other match that stood out to you in SummerSlam before I ask you about TakeOver?
5: Um I, I liked I liked what to do with Goldberg. I wish I could see more of Goldberg. <laughs>
3: it's, yeah, it's, oh, for God's it's, sakes. It's, I mean that's I, a, I, mean, I okay, he he got his win back. I mean, he got a, he it's it's a better performance than the performance against the Undertaker. That's enough of Goldberg. That's enough. <laughs> that's enough.
5: I guess I'm old school, but I, 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 but I like the idea that you can have these sort of dominant matches. I like that sort of. I mean, that's what I, that's what I like to see. I want to see those sorts of things. That's, that's, and I, because it's because it's distinctive, intelligent, direct storytelling. So maybe if they have somebody else, let's put it this way, give somebody else that Goldberg role, and then fine, go ahead and retire Goldberg. Give somebody else that role, and let them be in that role consistently. Then I'll really be uh, be fired up for it.
3: Can I tell you something? If Shane McMahon hit me the way he hits Kevin Owens, he'd get potatoed right back. Like, I think Kevin hit him in the face on purpose a couple times. Look, kid, like, you're 50 years old, and you have no finesse, and you are giving me body punches that are legit. And, you know, and and, and Shane McMahon's got a purple face. He's, like, blown up in, like, two minutes with that great body. He still looks like he's about to die in there with that purple face. But nevertheless, if he hits me like like he hits Kevin Owens, it's going to be a real fight. You know, if you if he still can't throw a working punch, KC, that's not good enough for me. We'd be we'd have it out. <laughs> not at this time, and honestly, McMahon has
5: enough. He's got enough draw. He's he gets enough. The fans care about him. They they still when you know, they they still like to see him out there. They still he still gets a reaction. But he's the type of guy that you almost should use him. I don't know if it's a managerial role or how you could do it, but. It's the sort of thing where you need to see him. You need to see him in the short burst. You don't want to put him in a match where he's starting to expose himself for the lousy punches, and he's not in the kind of shape that he should be to be wrestling matches. So put him out there in some sort of some sort of managerial role, or some sort of role of that nature, an interfering manager. We don't see that much anymore. It's the thing WWE doesn't like to do because Vince doesn't like to do all these things that reminds him of pro wrestling, like. Hey, let's concentrate on tag teams. Hey, let's do. It. There's a lot of things that they do that they've gone away with over these Let's not have time limits. No, we'll have time limits. They help tell stories. Same thing with him. You could put him back in the sort of heel manager role. It's a great talker. If you put him in there to interfere in a match or something of that nature, or put him in against another interfering manager, you know, babyface manager could stop him. You could have him do those little high spots. That could get him over and keep his character fresh. But when you put him out there and say we're going to have a wrestle match with him, it just exposes what he can't do, and that's not something that WWE needs to be doing right now. Because again, they've got AEW is going to have the kind of quality wrestling. I think the WWE is going to need to uh, uh, they're going to need to step their game up. In fact, I think that's part of the reason they had the main event they did, because they realized we need to have something people are talking about. Because people keep talking about AEW, and we
3: don't want that. KC, I'm glad you spent some time. Thanks so much for coming on. Let's come on this fall because we got a lot to talk about here starting in October. Sounds like a plan. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000
2: and the ESPN app.
3: All right, thanks to you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Our thanks to Jesse Rogers, Justin Tinsley, Aaron Dodson, Adam Rittenberg, Casey Joyner. Show produced by Sean Davis on the other side of the glass. Let's do this tomorrow, 7 to 10 right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Don't forget the podcast. Wherever you download your podcast, check out Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. And for you wrestling fans, follow me, Wrestling TWT. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 7 right here on UTH. Jonathan Hood.
0: <laughs> I'm so good! On ESPN 1000.